You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 25 through 35 this morning. I look forward to celebrating the resurrection next Sunday. We'll return to Romans to the end of chapter 4. Uh, where Jesus has uh, been raised for our justification. Uh, But this morning, I thought John 6 would be good for us to reflect on, given that it's Palm Sunday and also time when we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper here in just a few moments. Uh, From John 6, 22, all the way to the end of the chapter, is known as the Bread of Life Discourse. Discourse meaning teaching. The Bread of Life Teaching. Uh, of Jesus. It follows on the footsteps of the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle where Jesus broke the bread and the fishes and he just created food for thousands of, of people. And so this is a section when Jesus is teaching about himself and about who he is uh, in order for us to put our faith in him. So let's look at John 6:25 through 35. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you'd give us ears to hear it, hearts that are humbled and ready to receive it. I pray that you would use me as your servant today, that you would increase and I would decrease, and your word would go forth. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the conclusion of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, uh, he brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi and asked them, Who do people say that I am? And you remember they gave him answers. They said some say uh, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns to them and says, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter makes his great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
That conversation would have taken place shortly after these events here in John chapter 6. But it fits so well with the purpose of, of that John is writing. Truly, the, the most important question of our lives is asked from Jesus. Who do you say that I am? And John's gospel doesn't record this story. But in many ways, his whole gospel is written in answer to that question. Uh, one of the ways John answers it is by Jesus' famous I am statements. Uh, that Mark, uh, there's seven of them in John. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. Chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Chapter 15, verse 1, I am the vine, he said. And then, beginning in ours, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Those statements are so important because they are summarizing not just Jesus' purpose in coming, something about his coming, but also because they identify who he is. When he says, I am, he is making the deliberate point that he is Yahweh. He is the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. When Moses said, who are you? God says, I am. Here's Jesus making that same declaration, claiming to be God. Who is he? He is the son of the living God. I am. And of course, Jesus didn't just make this powerful claim. He backed it up with miraculous works. Uh, signs, if you will, that pointed to his identity that called us to put our faith in him. Here in John, John chapter 2, he turned uh, the water into wine. Uh, he healed a paralyzed man. He fed the 5,000. But despite those signs, many people were still convinced, uh, unconvinced, uh, including those in our text today, verse 30. Then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? This sounds like an innocent question, but it's hard to imagine a more vivid testimony of the depravity of the human heart than that question. Because Jesus has been doing signs. Even after uh, he makes this statement in verse 35, I am, he laments over their unbelief. Verse 36, but I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. I think it's important to note that at least one reason, maybe the main reason for unbelief, is an unwillingness that is rooted in sin. Uh, this should give uh, encouragement uh, uh, to us. For they saw Christ, they saw his miracles firsthand, and yet they refused to believe. Uh, the, the truth is, when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we say believing is, uh, or seeing is believing, but, but the fact is, it's about believing is seeing, isn't it? That they asked Jesus this question because they didn't like what he was saying. They're asking him this question because they're demanding him for another sign was just another way of putting him off. It was another way of putting off trusting him. Jesus is calling them to believe, but they do not want to believe. We need another sign. I think a lot of people do the same thing today. 
They spend their entire lives in a world that, that literally is manifesting the glory of God all around us in every way. They hear it in creation. They also hear it from the testimony of believers. Uh, they hear it in testimony from the Scriptures. All of these things are sufficient enough to lead them to put their faith in Jesus Christ, and yet they respond to the gospel with one objection after another. Not because there's a lack of evidence, not because there's not enough signs already, but because they don't want to believe. Jesus said they love the darkness rather than the light. This unbelieving group in Jesus' day proves, again, that the saying seen is believing is not, is not true because they saw. They saw Jesus. They saw His miracles. They were there. They witnessed them. And yet they would not believe. The Bible says faith comes from hearing the Word of God and believing that Word. It's through God's Word that we are born again that we receive our sight, as the hymn says. We were blind before that. And so until we believe, there is not a sign, there is not evidence, there is not a reason that will penetrate our sinful hearts. Verse 30, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here's what the people are saying in effect. You're right, Jesus, you're right. That was a powerful miracle that you did back there, feeding the 5,000. That was really something. But before we believe in you as the Messiah, we want to see a real sign. Now, we, what you did was very interesting, but you know, in our history, our Jewish people, we can't forget that Moses fed the people. And he did so for 40 years. And so we will believe if you, if you can do what Moses did and feed us now. Do you realize the arrogance of what they're saying? It should give us encouragement in, in our witnessing because we encounter hard-hearted people today, don't we? And Jesus' example here of persevering, he could have just thrown up his hands and given up on them, but instead he perseveres in his witnesses and he speaks the truth to them. Verse 32, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not by Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says two things. First of all, he says, Moses did not give you that manna, God did. And number two, he says, the manna that was given you was not the true bread from true heaven. It was really just earthly bread that fell from a visible sky. In other words, Jesus is saying, what's most important right now is that you recognize the bread of life who has come down from heaven and who is standing before you. That's most important. But again, revealing their shallowness, all they could say, verse 34, Sir, give us this bread always. And it's here Jesus makes this incredible declaration. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I want us to think about that statement, that declaration that Jesus was making, because it's obvious that when Jesus spoke of himself as the bread of life, that he's using a very common metaphor, very understandable image to communicate truth about 
who he is, what he has come to do. We can learn a lot about Jesus being the bread of life. I want to share with you five things uh, this morning. The first couple of things, I'm indebted to Jim Boyce uh, as he uh, stated this in his commentary. The first one is this, Jesus is essential to spiritual life. He's essential to spiritual life. In Jesus' time, bread was a, a crucial element of just a normal diet. People didn't have a variety of food choices like we have uh, perhaps today. Uh, when we go out and eat, sometimes they bring us bread as an appetizer. Uh, and that's great. But understand that when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's not saying, I'm an appetizer. What he is saying, though, is... Uh, by using bread, his audience would have understood that Jesus is speaking of something that is absolutely necessary and essential for life. Without bread, you die. So will we, he's saying, apart from him. J.C. Ryle put it like this, we can manage tolerably well without many things on our table, but not without real bread. So it is with Christ. We must have Christ or die in our own sins. So what Jesus is claiming here is that he is someone that both you and I cannot do without. He's absolutely essential. And, and, if, and, and, and people who are hearing this, the crowd in that day and even today, we're to be asking ourselves, are we trying to do life without him? Are we trying to go our own way and our own path? Are we thinking, I can take care of myself, I can get by? You, you can do that to an extent. It's difficult for us because we, we're in a, a much more affluent time and place. We have cars, we have uh, plenty to eat. Most of you are not worried about what you're going to eat. You might be worried about when you're going to get to eat it this morning, and you should be, by the way. But you're not worried that you're going to have uh, most of you food to eat. You've got all these different blessings. You can have all of those things without Jesus Christ. But what does Jesus say? Mark eight thirty six. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Would you consider that to be a good bargain, bargain to do without Jesus forever? The truth is, somebody could reason and rationalize. Well, they can do without Jesus for a time. You can satisfy your ego with success. You make yourself feel really good about yourself. You can satisfy your material needs with money uh, that you've earned, you, your desires with pleasure. You can do all of those things. But here's the truth. You will never satisfy the inescapable need of your soul for Jesus Christ. You, you will, and, and even more importantly, you will not survive the coming wrath of God apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus says in another one of his I am sayings, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It, it, it's similar. He is life. Jesus is life. He's the bread of life. He's the absolute necessity of life. You will remain spiritually dead apart from Jesus Christ. He's that essential. Have you come to that place where you understand that? Another lesson that Jesus teaches is that he is suited for everyone. He is suited for everyone. That's what he says. I am the bread of life, verse 35. Whoever comes to me. Whoever comes to me. Jesus is for all who come to him. I'm the bread of life. Oysters are not a food for everyone. 
caviar is not for everyone. It ain't for me. But there's a reason why restaurants will bring you a loaf of bread for the appetizer, right? Because everybody likes bread. Pretty much everybody. It's common. It's suitable. Then in some way, Jesus is making the same, same point here. He's for everyone. Whoever comes, he says. Perhaps you've heard people say something like this in your talks with them. You know that Jesus, he might be good for you, but he's not good for me. You know, I'm glad that going down there to that church, that's something that works well for you. But you know, it doesn't work for all that religious stuff. It doesn't really work well for my life. Uh, I'm glad you got all of that, but I'm good. All that stuff is just not for me. Jesus is not for me. There are people who think that way. Uh, perhaps you've encountered someone else who, who says, if somebody's uh, intelligent, they may say, well, you know, that church down there, if all those people, that's for dull and weak and dumb people. Uh, but but if, if, if a person is weak or dull, then they might think, well, you know, all those people down at the church, they're just for, that's just the intelligent people. I can't, uh, that's not for me. Or, or they'll say something like, you know, if someone is rich, they'll say, you know, Jesus is just for common people. He's not for us wealthy people. But then if someone is poor, they'll say, well, you know, all the rich people go down there to the church. And back and forth they go. And it's all just baloney because Jesus is for everyone. He's suited for all. Boyce puts it this way in his commentary. He says, he is for you. He is the Savior of the world. And that includes the peasant as well as the king on his throne. He has what you need. What is more, he knows you and he knows how to meet that need. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes, whoever comes to me. What a wonderful invitation, isn't it? The King of kings and the Lord of lords invites you to his table. If you do not know him, if you recognize something of a hunger that is in you, if something is missing, something is lacking, something is unfulfilled in you, a stirring that cannot be satisfied no matter how hard you try in this life, hear this invitation from our Lord. He is the bread of life. He satisfies. He's suitable. You have, you have a choice set before you here. And it's interesting, if you read John, and you'll, you'll be familiar with this because you know this story. Back in John chapter 4, Jesus encountered a woman at the well, right? And, and there was a big discussion there about two kinds of water. There's one kind of water that you can drink and you're going to be thirsty again. But Jesus says, I've got a water for you, a living water, which you drink of it, you will never thirst again. And here he says, there's a couple kinds of bread, basically. There's a kind that you can eat and be hungry again and will ultimately leave you dead. Or there's one that will satisfy you and lead to eternal life. Jesus is the living water. He is the bread of life. And he invites us to come. Whoever comes to me, he says, verse 35, shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It's, it's important to add that if you do come to him and if you do trust him, and those of you who have trusted him as Savior and Lord, that this is hardly the end of the journey or the end of your need for bread. It brings us into a relationship with Jesus, a relationship in which he does satisfy and sustain us with his life. And so I think third, it's important to note that Jesus is our daily need. He's our daily need. Just as bread is eaten daily, 
So our relationship with Jesus grows as we feed upon him daily. How many of you know this? It is not enough to meet with Jesus one day a week in your Christian life. Or if we're thinking of him as bread, it's not enough to eat bread once a week, the bread of Jesus once a week. He taught us this in, in, in a way. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 11, in the Lord's Prayer, he said, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, there's a great emphasis on the words there, isn't it? Give us this day, this day, daily now, repeated twice, it's, it's emphasizing a daily need, a daily rationing. And so, obviously, this prayer, this prayer is reminding us of, of God's physical provision for us, the, how He meets our material needs. We come to Him, we ask Him, he, he, he presents us. But when you put these two texts together, it's interesting. Give us this day our daily bread, and Jesus says, I am the bread. There's a truth that God is able to... to, to and, and willing to provide for our daily spiritual needs. And, and I, I don't think I'm reminding you of something you don't already know, but just as much as you need physical food and material blessings, I tell you, you need spiritual food every day. How much time do we spend praying about the physical things, but not these spiritual things? Give us this day our daily bread. This reminds us we need to be coming before Him as, as humbly as possible. Give me the spiritual bread that comes down from heaven, who is Christ. A.W. Pink writes this, If the Christian fails to feed on Christ daily, he will be weak and sickly. He'll be anemic spiritually. So therefore, we have to look to Christ daily to meet this need. How do you do this? There's a fourth observation. Jesus must be fed upon by faith. By faith. And you might write in parentheses, through His Word. You think about bread and the whole action there, the metaphor, has to be taken in. It has to be chewed and, and swallowed and ingested. And, and, and as Christians, we do this by faith. How do we do this? Jesus gives us uh, another teaching, Matthew 4, 4, during his temptation. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How do you live? Not just physical bread, but spiritual bread, which is the Word of God. Just as faith, Jesus, Paul says, comes from hearing the Word of God. Our faith continues to grow by hearing it and taking it into our hearts and minds. Christians grow through a steady diet of the bread of God's Word as we take it in. You may not have thought about it this morning, but you're eating right now. You say, it doesn't feel like it because I'm hungry. But if you're awake in the middle of this sermon, and you are hearing, and you are thinking about these things, and you are taking these things in, then you are, in fact, eating spiritually the Word who is Christ. This is so important, church. Phillips notes, sadly, uh, that we are living in a weak age of the church. That is, the reason is Christians are feeding on the world instead of the Word. You don't have to look around very far to see that research has shown this, that the majority of evangelical Christians today uh, can, can not list the Ten Commandments. 
they, they, what used to be, they knew the Romans road, have no idea what road you're talking about in Romans. Uh, when they could tell you about the I am statements here that are in John, uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, these kinds of staples that were a part of the Christian faith generations ago, people don't know anymore. How many today have little interest in the Word of God, little interest in a knowledge of the Word? We look around, where are the churches, the great churches of old, filled with men and women who uh, knew the great doctrines of the Bible, who knew the Word of God? Our land is full of churches that are anemic that are weak spiritually, that, that preach an easy believism kind of a gospel, a, a moral therapeutic deism in which you leave feeling really good about yourself, but you've not addressed the heart issues rather than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Where are the Wesleys? Where are the Whitfields of our day and time? Philip's words should give us pause if we find that the influence of our lives or our church is weak it can only be because we are weak through neglecting the bread of God's Word. Our failure to feed upon the Word who is Christ, the, the one who alone can make us grow, it has left so many weak and anemic Christians with little influence. Church, does this not motivate you today to get in this Word? Parents, does it not motivate you today to teach this Word to your kids? Young people, does it not inspire you to feast on the Word so that you can be used mightily by God? This is a call. If Jesus is the bread of life, this is a call that we need to be feeding on Him. Amen? Feeding on His Word, not the things of this world. Making it our habit to take it in, and not just once a week on Sundays. Learning this Word, memorizing this Word, praying over this Word, letting this Word absorb into our lives so that it comes out. There's nothing more important to your spiritual life than this bread of life who is Christ. Nothing more important. Fifth, I would draw your attention to one more thing. Uh, and I wonder, this is speculation, but I wonder if when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, did he, did he look ahead to the time that he would be broken on the cross for us? When he fed the 5,000, uh, Matthew 14, 19 says, in taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, and then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Jesus is the bread of life because uh, he was, as that bread was broken, it pictures the brokenness of his own life on the cross for us. Paul made this specific for us. Jesus did as well. But Paul says that he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He broke the bread. And he said, this is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Think about all that has happened that Jesus might become your bread 
the bread of life. He left the glories of heaven, and he was born into this world. In fact, he was born in a little town called Bethlehem, which means house of bread. He lived a sinless life, and then he was willing to become sin for us. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was broken. He was cut down by sinful men. He went to the cross for our sins. He passed through the, the fires of God's holy wrath as he took our place in judgment. He suffered for you and me. He died to take away the penalty of our sin so that through faith in him we might be restored to fellowship with God. He rose from the dead on the third day to offer life to those who believe. And now having ascended into heaven, he lives to make intercession for us and through the Holy Spirit that he sends to those who believe. And today he issues this incredible invitation. It makes sense. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Have you come to Christ? Coming to Jesus starts with realizing the hunger of your soul. It realizes that there's something amiss in my life. There is something, and it may feel at first like some kind of an un, uh, unsatisfaction. You can't get any fulfillment. You can't seem to have any meaning or purpose, but it goes much deeper than that. It goes to the heart, our sinful hearts, and our need for what Jesus did for us. Do you realize something of this unsatisfaction in you? And then notice coming to Jesus is the same as believing in Jesus. I think this is important. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me. How do you come to Jesus? You come to Jesus by believing in him. That's what he says. Believing. Believing that he is your bread. Believing that he is the one who's come down to heaven to save you. And to believe in him means that you forsake all other breads that this world has to offer for him, for the bread of life. Do not be like the crowds in Jesus' day who were saying, oh, I get it, just show me another sign. Well, if I could just see one more sign, gasp. One more thing. Just, just, uh, just feed my belly, Lord. Just give me another comfort. Just give me another blessing. Just give me another sign. No, friends, he has already given signs. What more sign do you need than this one at this table? His body broken for you. His blood shed for you on the cross. Put away these excuses and put your trust fully in Jesus Christ who is the bread of life. Let's bow together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing passage and declaration of Jesus, which teaches us so much, Lord. We thank you for it.
for those that may need to make a public commitment of faith as Jesus as their Savior. We pray for them now during this song of invitation that they might come forward and receive Jesus by putting their faith and trust in Him. And for the rest of us, Lord, who know Him, I pray that this would renew our hunger for the bread of life, to worship Him, to live for Him, to serve Him in every way. Lord, as we reflect on this now, inscribe these truths in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.